Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Oh, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the program. This is Good Morning New York, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. I'd like to welcome you and all of our listeners from around the world and including the United States. The New York City Real Estate Expo will hold its eighth annual event this Thursday, September 29th at the New York Hilton Hotel right here in Manhattan. Doors open at 7.30 a.m. The event will bring together commercial and residential real estate professionals for a full day of networking, panel discussions, and education sessions. More than 3,000-plus professionals have already registered for what has become the must-attend real estate event in New York City. Uh, as I've mentioned before, I will be moderating a session on how to become a world-class connector and how this will grow your business uh, of real estate. I will also be interviewing on video many important high-level professionals in the real estate industry at the convention on the floor. My guest today, Doug Headings, who is Executive Vice President of Sales at Core Real Estate, will also be on the panel with me, and it's going to be a very exciting conversation. Speaking of Doug, he is my guest today. He is Executive Vice President, as I said, of sales, uh, responsible for overseeing and growing sales and business development for Core Real Estate uh, here in New York. Doug's role uh, includes recruiting, agent support, as well as meeting company sales goals and projections. A 23-year veteran and a top producer at one of Manhattan's largest firms, Doug was most recently uh, the founder of the former Headings Property Group. As a real estate expert, Doug is a certified Department of State instructor, and he sits on the board of directors of the Real Estate Board of New York, which we call Rebney here. In addition to being featured as a contributing contributing writer for several publications, he has been featured on the Today Show, CNBC, Fox Business, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and New York One, among others. He loves spending his free time with his wife and their children. Good morning. Good morning, Vince. Thanks for having me. Well, that's quite a resume. Uh, it sounds really good, doesn't it? <laughs> And 24 years in the business. I think, you know, I've been around for 15 years and it's, it's been forever, but that's, that's pretty impressive. Anyway, let's get a little background before we have a conversation here. Let's get a little background on our topic today, which is the Hudson Yards development here in New York City. It's happening slowly and there are still rough edges, but building by building, Hudson Yards is finally taking shape. The entire landscape is completely different from what it was a year ago. It is blossoming into its own neighborhood and developers are trying to turn it into the next it Generation Hudson Yards is a large-scale redevelopment project that is jointly planned, funded, and constructed by the City of New York, the State of New York, and the Metropolitan Transportation Authority, or we call MTA, to encourage developing along the Hudson River in Manhattan. The project includes a rezoning of the far west side and extension of New York City's subway uh, number seven trains to the area's new subway station at 11th Avenue and a re uh, renovation of the Jacob Javits Convention Center. I had forgotten about that piece of it. Uh, the centerpiece of Hudson Yards is a 26 to 28 acre mixed use real estate development uh, of the same name uh, by the related companies and Oxford properties currently constructed over the west side rail yards. Uh, this new construction project is the largest of its kind. According to its master plan, Hudson Yards is expected to consist of 16 skyscrapers containing more than 12,700,000 square feet of new offices, residential, and retail space. Among its components will be a 6 million square feet of uh, commercial office space, a 750,000 square foot retail center with two levels of restaurants, cafes, markets, 
and bars, a hotel, <clears throat> a cultural space, about 5,000 residences, a 750-seated school, seat, uh, school, and 14 acres of public open space. The rail yard development was planned after the city lost its bid for the 2012 Summer Olympics following the state's refusal to approve the proposed Westside Stadium for the New York Jets. Hudson Yards broke ground on December 4th, 2012, and the first tower, an 895-foot office building in the southeast corner of the site, opened on May 31st of this year. So, Doug, you know, the Hudson Yards is the largest private uh, real estate development in the history of the United States and the largest development in New York City since Rockefeller Center. I had forgotten that piece as well because that's a huge development. So when complete in 2025, 125,000 people a day will work there, will visit there, or call Hudson Yards their home. How is this going to change the face of the far west neighborhoods up and down the west side of Manhattan? As you and I know and most New Yorkers know, it's been barren. It's been railroad tracks. It's really not a destination for any particular reason. But with all of this new redevelopment, how is this going to really change the face of that strip? And will it make it better? It it certainly is going to make it better. I think that you're looking at, excuse me, not just a change in that specific location, but a change in uh, the the way Manhattan is viewed by um, internationals, by tourists, um, and domestically by determining where people are going to choose to live. Um, the extension of the seven, uh, number seven subway line to 34th and 11th has connected Hudson Yards to every segment of the city um, very, very conveniently. In fact, KKR, a company that's going to be moving into to, uh, Hudson Yards, that's a very large private equity firm, they have done a transportation study and they did a very extensive transportation study to determine um, how ease, with ease or difficulty their, uh, their um, employees could get to work. And they determined that several minutes has been shaved off of the commute by moving from 9 West 57th Street, the Solo Tower, to um, Hudson Yards. So what's go- what I believe is going to happen and what a lot of professionals believe is going to happen is you're going to see with Hudson Yards basically anchoring the High Line, which is the above-ground park that runs from 14th Street all the way up into Hudson Yards, you're going to see a brand-new retail corridor that's going to start with Hudson Yards and run all the way down the far west side, 10th Avenue, um, down to 16th, 15th, 14th Street. You're going to see Madison Avenue-type shops on 10th Avenue. Yeah, they've already announced a couple of places, including Coach. But but let me ask you a couple of questions about the transportation that you brought up, because as real estate uh, experts in this town who are working with clients for many years, you know, transportation is always an obstacle. They need to live close to a train. They need to walk to the train. They need to get to work, whatever. And we know from other far west or even far east neighborhoods, I mean, all the Trump buildings along the boulevard for a while, there was concern, well, you know, the, the one or the, the two train is quite a distance. It's quite a walk. They provided shuttle service, whatever. Do you think, I mean, there's a lot of buzz about Hudson Yards, and I think it's going to be a major success, but I have to also wonder or question, do you think a lack of transportation, I mean, the 7 train is great, but how busy will that train be in and out of that location? And do you think it'll be a little bit of a deterrent because people can't easily get there from wherever they need to go to work or school or 
social? No, I think the the seven train connects to every single other train in the city. So you you can take the seven train from 34th and 11th. I think what you're going to see on the flip side of what you're saying, I don't think it's going to be a deterrent. I think that people who don't even live in Hudson Yards are going to start taking the train from their locations, whether it be the Upper West or Upper East Side, to the seven train and walking to work on the lower um, High Line corridor down the High Line. I mean, imagine taking the train from the Upper West Side, if you live on the Upper West Side, connecting to the 7 train, getting off at 34th and 11th, walking through this 28-acre um, new neighborhood. You know, it's its own town within the city of Manhattan. Walking through that, 14 acres of parks, mm -hmm. and then down the High Line to work. That sounds like a pretty nice commute to me, it, it, if the weather's good. It's <laughs> Always. It sounds extraordinary, but let's talk a little bit about the High Line as well. So, unsurprisingly, the west side of Manhattan has become uh, a haven for new construction and examination of building permits issued uh, across the city over the last 10 years, and this is uh, the real deal has stated. The zip code surrounding that followed close behind with a huge surge of development in Chelsea Hills Kitchen in Midtown West, and now Hudson Yards, a little um, uh, south of Midtown West. In Chelsea, there are several projects in various stages of construction along the High Line. CORE has lots of uh, developments down in that neighborhood. How do you think the High Line, you just briefly mentioned it, but how do you think the High Line plays into all of these new developments and more especially the um, the, high, the Hudson Yards coming up? or, or Well, you know, I, I think the High Line has been a smashing success that no one, no one could have anticipated. There were only a few people who thought it was going to be this successful. Um, it is now the number one traffic tourist att attraction in New York City. Yeah. Um, so, and I that runs from 14th Street up to now 30. It'll go. It it'll go right into 31st Street. Right. You know. And, and by the way, it'll go flat into 31st Street. Um, it's elevated at the moment, and when you, when you get into the the gradient, will take it right into the plaza of Hudson Yards. Um, so there won't be walking down steps or anything like that. Right. Um, so I think what you're talking about is an elevated green space that is very appealing to people who would have never dreamed of living on the far west side of Manhattan. Um, 10th and 11th avenues have become attractive to families. Um, so and, and, you know, the opening of the avenues school Mm -hmm. in that location has really attracted families. It's changing the entire demographic of the area. Um, and it's very, very exciting. I mean, we've 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 seen. I agree with you on that. Uh, most especially, you know, uh, in that area, we have seen, you know, the the far west Chelsea neighborhoods. You know, way back when, you know, Tribeca, um, Midtown West. I mean, for heaven's sakes, I sold new development on Tenth Avenue and Forty Seventh Street in two thousand and seven. When I said to developers, you know, listen, Tenth uh, Avenue between Tenth and Eleventh Avenue on you know Forty Seventh Street. Are you out of your mind? Uh, because it hadn't gentrified to the point yet where I was comfortable thinking that it could represent some families living there, or could you know bring um, everybody there. But clearly, it has. And, and to your point, where Tenth Avenue and Eleventh Avenue are now attractive, to attractive enough to families, that's true. I mean, I go over a stretch of say thirty something Street, Thirty Seventh Street up to Forty Seventh Street on Tenth Avenue. It's it's almost beautiful. 
and under very, the highland. Yeah, it's a very different, it's different com- neighborhood. It's completely different. And every time I go by there, there's an Equinox gym down by uh, I think it's um, 18th Street or 17th Street. It's it's just incredible. And the people walking around there just a few years ago, I wouldn't even imagine could be there. Uh, unsurprising, no, we already did that one. So Stephen Ross, by the way, the chairman of the related companies who we know, recently said in, quote, the issue uh, is that most New Yorkers don't know what's coming. And most people, when you talk about the type of things we are talking about, don't have any vision for it. He continues saying they've got to see it to inform their beliefs. We have spent very little money on advertising, so it's all been kind of viral. People don't really understand what Hudson Yards will do or what impact it will have on New York City. What is your opinion on the impact on New York? Now, we, we, we obviously know that it's going to change that whole landscape over there, but what is the impact going to be on New York City? And maybe compare it to, say, the Trump Boulevard area, East End Avenue now where we have all of which is a very far distance from trains over there, all those beautiful new uh, condos. What impact is Hudson Yards really going to have on our landscape on well, the west side? I, I tell you... Um, what I think makes Hudson Yards unique is that it's really um, a self-sufficient town within the city of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have uh, schools, nursery schools, elementary schools, um, plenty of businesses, restaurants, shopping. The first Neiman Marcus is going into the space. Um, it's really going to be an area not just – a, an area where people, a destination, mm-hmm. you know, a destination. Other people in the city, people all over the city, whether it be downtown, Upper East, Upper West Side, um, Brooklyn, are going to want to go to Hudson Yards to shop, to dine. Um, and, and I think it's going to, uh, it's going to have a very, very positive impact. It's the last of these large parcels to be developed, and it's being developed by the number one developer in the United States. Yep. They know what they're doing. I mean, what a, what a lot of people don't realize, you know, people are talking about what's going on with the market and new development, and, you know, if you don't have financing yet for your new development project, you may not get it. We're talking about a developer here. This is a fully financed project. It's done. Let's hold the thought there. We have to okay. take a break. When we come back, we will pick up on that thought. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. I've been a real estate broker for 14 years, and I really believe that success in any business happens one happy customer at a time. A client once told me, Maggie, you're going to be my broker for life. And I really take a lot of pride in that. When you exceed a customer's expectations, you know you've done a great job for them. You've gone above and beyond. They're going to give you repeat business. They're going to refer you to their family and friends. It means that they really, really trust you. I'm Maggie Kent with CORE, and this is what I do. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. We're talking to Doug Headings, Executive Vice President of Sales at Core Real Estate, also happens to be my manager. And today we are talking about the Hudson Yards development on the far west side of Manhattan, which has been intriguing to most people uh, that you talk to, whether they're agents within the business, whether they're customers. I already have customers asking me, actually, I have three or four customers who want to buy there. But when I tell them, well, you, you can't move in until about 2018, maybe a little sooner, maybe a little later, it's kind of a deterrent in their mind. But everybody, as you well know, in this town loves new development when anything brand new comes up, whether it's a brand new destination neighborhood like Hudson Yards or not, people are interested. So you you touched on a little while ago before the break that the culture, the commerce, the cuisine, you know, there's going to be schools. It's going to be a destination. It's going to be a neighborhood, quite frankly, that you don't ever have to leave except to go to work. So is this what most of our clients are looking for, you think, today when they think about new development, whether it's at Hudson Yards or someplace in Chelsea or someplace downtown or someplace on the Upper East or West Side? Well, because of the nature of this, the size and scale of Manhattan, <clears throat> most of what you, um, most of the attractions, the cultural, the, mu- the culture of the museums, restaurants, you can get to pretty easily, even if they're not in your neighborhood. Um, I think this is a situation where you're going to have really incredible fine dining experiences, very high-end shopping experiences, um, cultural experiences, the shed, the cultural center that's going up there that has the retractable roof. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's just incredible. Uh, You know, live concerts, performances, theater, um, all of that right out your front door is uh, is is pretty amazing. When I when I used to think about you know the the beginning conversations of the Hudson Yards and I think well you know it's in the West Thirties and of course right now there is nothing there but railroad tracks and abandoned this and that. I thought you know who would really want to live there and then as time went on I think it's spectacular and I think it's going to be amazing and actually the location that Thirties blocks of uh, of streets there just amazing. You're right on top of Chelsea. You're right underneath Hell's Kitchen. Really easy access, you know, going to be easy access to any place. Um, how do you think it's going to compare with other new developments that are popping up at the same time? Do you think Hudson Yards is going to kind of run away with the sales or do you think uh, kind of start off slow? Or Well, well, if early activity is any indication, um, we're doing about 25 to 30 showings a day. And um, a lot of that interest is coming from the international markets. Interesting. So people uh, around the globe are very, very excited about this project and very excited about parking their money in New York City real estate. So it's going to be a development filled with amenities. It's going to be, as we said, in a great location destination. Interesting to hear that more people who are coming to see 25 to 30 uh, showings a day is significant. Uh, And it's interesting to hear that, again, the foreign uh, investors are looking to park money here because, as we all know, for the longest time, the past year, that kind of slowed down a bit. But once again, it takes new development buildings like this to attract the attention of a lot of people. 
Um, let me ask you about new developments in general, um, Doug, because, you know, the, the uber high-end $50 million, $20 million, $100 million penthouse, we all know that. That's kind of slipped a little bit. And I, I was looking at statistics the other day, down maybe 20%, I think, from last year. I can't remember the number. Where are we today with uh, the uber high-end uh, development condo sales or even resales, the, the higher, say, 20-plus million dollar um, price tags? Well, you know, we've, I, I think you were there. We recently had our, uh, our third quarter meeting, and I discussed um, the ultra high end has definitely flattened out. It's slowed down a little bit. There's, th- look, there's a lot of that product on the market, um, and only so many people in the world who can afford that product. However, I think what people fail to realize is, you know, we were moving along with that product and and frankly, the entire real estate market at about 80 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Um, We saw the state trooper behind the sign and slowed down to 55. So we're going the speed limit. And everybody thinks we're crawling. And that's not the case. That was a great conversation. You you talked to us about that day, but continue. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but we are, I I think, in fact, I agree with you. We are, we've slowed down and we're we're doing the speed limit, which which is great. We're not doing under, we're doing the speed limit. But why, in your opinion, do you think everybody feels like it's a disaster or we've slowed down or there's a Because we're New Yorkers. (laughs) 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 Because we're New Yorkers. No, I think that, um, look, when, when you're going, it, it, look, it's a, it's, it's a great analogy. When you're going 80 miles an hour down the highway and you slow down to 55, you want to rip the steering wheel out mm-hmm. of the car because it feels like you're crawling. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what's happened with, with our market. We're not, this is a healthy real estate market right now. Um, you know, a little bit of a price adjustment in the ultra high end may not be a bad thing. Um, but what about the what about the the uh, the normal end? So the high end is the high end. But what about price adjusting in the you know the two to three to four million dollar range, or even under a million dollars? I mean, I think it's necessary there as well. But but so uh, so I think there are two factors that have have uh, have caused some some uh, price resistance in that two to five million dollar range. Now, most of the, my colleagues and the people that we work with will tell you that those properties are moving as long as they're priced well. Correct. What has happened in that 80 mile an hour market is that a lot of real estate agents are overpricing. They're pricing, they add 10% to the value of the last property that sold in the building and maybe the market hasn't gone up 10%. So the, so the property stays on the market for 90, 120 days, something like that, um, which in Manhattan is significantly above the average. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that um, the first first cause of of some buyer resistance to pricing is um, overpricing. If you price properly, you end up selling your property. That's you know, anecdote after anecdote of that. And then the the second factor is buyer psychology and what's going on in this country with the election, the uncertainty in the election, what happened with Brexit. People were a lot very nervous about what was going on there. Um, we have seen money flowing in from, from Brexit into yeah. New York City, which has been great. So, um, <clears throat> you know. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the election and not that we need to get into the, the, the particulars of, but in this particular, you know, real estate marketplace that we live and work in, uh, do you think that the um, uncertainty 
with the the outcome of this election has had an effect on the real estate market this year. Despite all the other, you know, slow down 80 miles to 50 miles an hour, 55 miles an hour, I get that. But do you think the election has had anything to do with correcting things I, or slowing things down? Actually? I think that um, in some areas more than others of Manhattan, um, I think that um, it's, it's a difficult, <laughs> difficult topic. I don't want to irritate any of our viewers. You and I just by, want to get into it. By, <laughs> sway, by sway, by by giving my opinions. Right. Um, but I think that, uh, I th- just to, as a simple answer to your question, I think that the anxiety, underlying anxiety about who's going to be our next president, um, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, um, has definitely played a part in in. in Higher yeah. price resistance. Yeah, I think all of the above. And 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 just to get back to the point that you made earlier about pricing apartments incorrectly, um, do you think that sellers right now uh, understand that you can't necessarily price things where they want it to be or where they think it is? Because, for example, as you said before, there may not have been a ten percent increase, or there may not have been a five percent increase since the last sale in the building. And we always look at our our wonderful comps to get us to where we need to be, but. When you tell a seller sometimes that, you know, that shouldn't be the price and it should be X, you know, you get resistance. And I think sometimes, you know, agents to get the listing uh, will say, all right, fine, we'll we'll price it at X. We may have to come down a Y uh, if we don't get any, enough, enough traffic, if we don't get any offers or bids. How do you feel about that? I mean, what I mean, it's always a, a you know, a tough situation to, to be in when you're dealing with a seller. But what are your, what's your thought on that? Uh, well, I t- my thought is that um, we have seen, we've just been looking at numbers in our office, <clears throat> um, industry-wide numbers, and we have seen a real trend in properties that are selling with the second agent or even the third agent that represents the property. And that's after significant price reductions. Absolutely. So to be the first agent and overprice a property in the hopes that you're going to sell it within six months, because that's the length of mm-hmm. a typical exclusive agreement, um, is foolish. Yeah. Um, you really have to look at all of the data, not just the most recent. You know, the most recent comp in the building may have sold, you know, for $4 million a year and a half ago. And you have to look at what's going on around that property and in the neighborhood. And does the current market support you know, a four and a half million dollar asking price. Chances are, depending on where you are, no, it doesn't. Right. And to price it at four and a half million dollars means that you're going to waste six months of your time and the next agent <clears throat> or even the third agent will end up selling it. But with all that said, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, one of our agents and certainly our CEO, Sean. We just recently, I think this week, put a $25 million penthouse in contract at 42 Crosby Street. So, you know, kudos to that and, and congratulations to everybody in that because I read that yesterday and thought, wow. Okay. Yeah. So to your point, obviously priced well, obviously a great new development, great location. Here you go. Bang. Well, and another Fire one signs. another one of our projects, 70 Vestry, Tom and Giselle just bought a $20 million property there. There you go. So and and those properties are selling. So we have about a minute left. I wanted to just ask your opinion on is the real estate market still a better investment than the stock market? It, it, the stock market in general. Right now it's a healthy market, but but in general, is it still a better investment to, to put your money in real estate? Historically, I believe um, the data shows yes. Um, 
and I'm not talking about any real estate market, obviously, but the New York City real estate market, I believe, has outperformed the stock market for the last 40 years. So, and, and it's been very good to me for 24 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I got to tell you something. I've been in, in several, you know, many different businesses and, and the, the satisfaction and, the, and the, the, the fun times in real estate in New York, even when it gets hairy and even when it gets, you know, stressful and whatever, it's, it's still the best thing in the world for me. Uh, and I think that uh, I, I agree with um, what you say and a couple of others recently that we are headed, I think, to, into 2017 a lot healthier than we were in 2016. Not that this was a bad year, you know, overall, but, you know, slow correction, a couple of things. But uh, election will be over. Um, I think people will be back focused on what they need to do to get their lives in order, and that's buy real estate. Anyway, we have to take a break. We'll be back with our panel. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration, which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern, with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. Doug Headings is going to stick around for the rest of the show. We are talking to Niall Lundgren from Compass, Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, and Louise Phillips-Forbes is stuck in traffic, but she will be here any moment. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Good morning. Uh, doing well, Vince. How Good are to you? See you. I haven't seen you in a bit. Good to see you, too. Yeah, I was on vacation. You get to do that every once in a while. I can tell by the glow. <laughs> and he has a bunch of vacation beads around his, around his wrist, like to remind him when Seriously, he's back It's here. my zen place, you know? I come back. It's kind of like a shock when you get back to New York. It, First listen. off, when you're driving back from the, from the airport and you see the jagged sky line 
something sets in in your heart. You're like, okay, all right, this is real now. (laughs) We're back. But you know what, though? There's truth to that because no matter how many times I've traveled and come back into the city, whether it be for business when I was in corporate life or whether it's just, you know, personal vacation, whatever – you come over that bridge and oh, you yeah. see that skyline. There is absolutely nothing in the world that is better than that. Whether it's nighttime, whether it's daytime, you say, I'm back in New York. This is my town. I love it. And by the way, just look at what this looks like. It's incredible. It's just amazing. And it gets that adrenaline up there, and especially in our business where you got to be pumped every day or totally. you're out of your mind. There should be a portion of Cash Cab. Remember that TV show? Do yeah, they still yeah. have it? Yeah, where, where, where the driver goes, what's your initial gut reaction to the skyline? And then they're, they're either like, oh, I'm back. Or they're like, yes, I'm back. Yes, I'm back. Right? There we go. I, I make that. that skyline drive six times a week, bringing my daughter back from soccer practice. Oh, there you go. There you go. So you six, really take yeah. advantage of that. Doug and Louise should compare their soccer game schedule <laughs> right. all year. There you go. Right. Oh, that's right. She said yeah. that last week. All right, let's let's move on. We hear that Amy Schumer. Now, we Doug and I were just talking about pricing, you know, before the the last commercial break. But we hear that Amy Schumer still can't sell her Upper West Side penthouse. It's a full floor, one bedroom, one and a half bathroom unit that is also a fourth floor walk up. Listen to some of the cues here in a turn of the century brownstone near the American Museum of Natural History. The apartment, which comes with a private landscape roof, was asking two point oh seven million last year when we first reported it. In August of this year, the price dropped to one point six two million. It comes with two wood-burning fireplaces, multiple skylights, and high ceilings. Sounds like a dream for a New York apartment. I'll take it. I'll take it. So this right, is, that's, so, that's so interesting that you mentioned that. <laughs> I remember when it went on the market, mm-hmm, and sure. I think it's had two brokers now, but the first broker was a friend of mine in the, the business. The point before. Yeah, and, and so I remember... I, like two days after I went on the market, I congratulated my friend on the great listing before I knew it was Amy's. Um, and he said, thank you so much. Like, I wish you could bring a buyer, but we already have a contract out. And I remember thinking, whoa, that was really quick for something priced this way. But now it's still available. I, I guess it it's just kind of throws pr- me price a Price drop from August. So here we are almost October at 1.6. And my question is really, you know, why doesn't this sell? And I mean, I think Doug touched on it before, you know, maybe 1.62 is still not the right price. Well, I mean, it was initially listed in November of 2015 for $2,075,000. Yes. Correct. So it was originally just priced way too high. And then it's still on the market, still on the market, switched hand a couple of times. It's now 1.6. Um, it's a co-op, so it's a little bit tougher than you know a condo to purchase in. There's, it's not pet friendly. Um, it's also a walk-up. I was going to say it's a walk-up. Yeah, That's just, the biggest thing. I just I closed a, a new development out in Williamsburg, sick apartment for 1.4. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is 1.6. And, and no, note, the, to, note to <laughs> sellers: don't list your your property with outdoor space in November. <laughs> yeah, That's so really true. Point. So true. Not, um, not a good idea. Better play Un- to the seasonality yep, of it. Absolutely. Unbelievable. And, and, and I think this also proves the fact that you need to start at the good number yeah. or at the right number and not you know keep decreasing, keep decreasing, because then people feel there's something going on. Absolutely. All right, moving on. Are students a protected class under the federal New York State, uh, New York City, or New York State housing laws collectively? Are fair housing laws? Are they a protected class? Students. Repeat the question because Louise just walked in. Louise <laughs> is here. Good morning. Hey. Good morning, all. Welcome to being stuck in an elevator in a little New York City traffic. <laughs> Welcome to New York City. There you go. All right. Question was Are students a protected class under the federal, New York State, or New York City housing laws? 
or our fair housing laws here that we are bound by uh, as real estate agents in New York City. Students, protected class. No. Yes or no? Absolutely not. Okay. The answer is no. Students are not a protected class under the fair housing laws. However, although being a student is not a protected class, students are protected by fair housing laws. For example, age is a protected class. According to stu- Accordingly, students cannot be discriminated against because of their age. So it's a little bit of a conflict there, but they're not a protected class, but yet because of age, which is, they can't be discriminated against. Have any of you seen anything in your businesses that pertain to this? I have not. I mean, you know, when I was doing some rentals in the beginning of my career, you know, you get a lot of college students together and, and you know, whatever, they want to rent apartments. But I never had a situation where someone said, oops, too young, to this, to that. I think it's a careful line that we have to lead and charge the the management of a situation. Um, how many times have we all been asked, uh, you know, I have two students who want to share, and it's the first question is parties. Um, second is where's their credit? And so I think if you stick to the facts of we're looking for a debt, a debt income, a debt ratio to income, and um, and then there's always the idea of having the parents co-sign instead of guarantor because you can't enforce somebody who's not on the lease to abide by the rules, whether it's to the lease or to the building. So having that extra security has something I have done for particular buildings, not every building. We have recently at CORE had a landlord who specifically said no students. Interesting. Didn't How do you manage that? He said no students. I'm not, I'm not getting into conversations with him about age. I'm not getting into conversations with him about parties. None of that stuff. He just didn't want any students. And it basically came from a previous experience, experience that he had, and he just didn't want, you know, and no shares, he said. Yeah, I've heard similar things with singles. I don't want any single people in my apartment because, <laughs> well, listen, because young, younger single people, because the fear is the parties and, and commotion and loud noises and, and Lord knows whatever else. But, but marital status is protected. But marital status is protected. So, you know, the question is, you know, with our fair housing all the time, and I wanted to ask another thing because I encountered it on Sunday at one of my open houses. It's like, you know, we are all bound by what we can and cannot say due to fair housing here in New York City in our real estate endeavors. And an agent walked through with um, her buyer, and we're talking about a $2 million plus listing. And, you know, the buyer was asking all kinds of naughty questions with regard to, you know, fair housing. And I just, mm. you know, I was just not saying a word. <laughs> and the agent was just answering all of them. And I'm thinking, oh, geez, what are you doing? Yeah, that's a no-no. Yeah, and I interject as the exclusive agent, say that, you know, part of my responsibility in Department of State, I can share what I know, meaning I have four friends that live in this building. They have three children. They go to the public school around the corner. But it's a personal thing. It's a personal thing. But answering them carte blanche on a generalization is a naive agent. Yeah. I also like, depending on what the subject is, if someone is asking inappropriate questions like a buyer, or I've actually had other brokers ask inappropriate questions um, like, you know, what is the makeup of the building or what is the school district, things like that. If it's a school district thing, I will say, 
by revenue laws, I cannot actually answer that. But you can go to the city government website and easily put in the address and Matt, find let, it out yourself. Let, let's define that inappropriate word a little bit here because what people may not understand is you know, inappropriate sounds like they're asking you know like bad questions. They're really asking questions that um, are protected from you know the, the the guidelines and the rules. People say, what type of people live in the building? Who lives in the building? Is this mostly younger people? Is it mostly single people? Do gay people live here? Mm-hmm. Do people with green hair live here? So, you know, these are the kinds of what we say inappropriate, but they're really questions that, you know, could particularly sway or not a person from buying into that building. And that's where all these protective laws come in. So when we say fair housing or inappropriate questioning, that's really what we're, we're, we're talking about. And we really are bound by, and listen, I worked on new development sites for years where the testers, I think they were called, would come in and try and, and get you to say <laughs> wrong things. Mm. And I, I'll never forget one in particular. I, I can smell them coming in the door just for whatever reason. <laughs> And I did my best Academy Award-winning performance in my real estate career. And the guy went off and did a glowing, you know, report on me to back to my developer because, A, I was versed in what I couldn't, couldn't say, especially when you're working new developments because you see people all day long, all day long who ask the same questions all the time. And two, um, I just kind of knew he was testing me. He was probably hired by the, the developer or maybe sent by the Department of State, whoever. I'd never really got to the bottom of that. Just be on your P's and Q's, as they used to say, because you can get caught and you can lose your license. And in this particular business, we don't want to do that. And anyway, moving on, we recently turned our sights onto the Riverdale real estate market. And one expert explained why he thought the neighborhood near Van Cortland Park may be a smart long-term buy for buyers. But there's uh, nothing uh, like seeing the market for yourself. If you don't already live there, how can you get a snapshot of what the area has to offer? And what is Riverdale all about? We all know it's an enclave up in the Bronx at the top of the island of Manhattan. But we don't really know, most people I should say, don't really know a lot about that enclave. What What's so well, special about Riverdale? I, I mean, having hockey players in my life and I spend my life in all tri-states, you know, going to Riverdale and through Riverdale to whatever hockey rinks are around there, it is it is a city out of the city, mm-hmm. and yet it's a small town vibe to it. And architecturally speaking, like Harlem, in it, it was a retreat <clears throat> for wealthy New Yorkers, and then wealthy New Yorkers realized that it's 15 minutes outside of the city and you get a backyard. I mean, the median is $282,000 for a co-op. And there are a lot of them that offer some of the same amenities that we get here. Absolutely. Not to mention that there are some amazing estates as well. And beautiful parks and green-like areas and not far from the Hudson, depending on where you are in Riverdale. I just sold a house in Riverdale just as I was coming over to CORE. And it was a $2 million house up on a, a, a hill that looked straight out of the Hudson and I got to tell you something. This house was probably five, little less than five thousand square feet, two million bucks. Wow! wow. It's a lot of house. It's a lot of house you and know, a lot of property as well. So it was beautiful. Nobody, like, sorry, I was going to say just quickly. Nobody's moving to Riverdale for the nightlife. Okay, <laughs> it's it's a sleepy town. It is. Um, but go ahead. Sorry, Doug. I, I was just going to say my wife and I looked up there because my daughter goes to Fieldston. Mm-hmm. And um, Great schools. And uh, you know, my wife is a born and bred Upper West Sider, <laughs> so we're never moving to Riverdale. <laughs> However, I would move there in a second. Um, it is absolutely gorgeous. It is. And 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 a long term play. 
a long-term real estate play seems to make a lot of sense. I, I think that also speaks to the renaissance that we're going to see in the Bronx, but that's a whole nother. I, I totally agree on the South, the South border. Anyway, we have to take a break. This is Good Morning uh, New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com By the time I was 16 years old, I knew I wanted to get into real estate. We'd already moved through seven homes in four countries, and I spoke five languages. Of all people, I understand that transition is difficult. It's why I've committed my career to making sure that this process for my clients is as smooth and successful as possible. It's why I've connected them to the best professionals and attorneys and bankers, and I wake up every single day thinking, how can I make this better? I'm Tony Sargent with CORE, and this is what I do. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. We're talking to Louise Phillips-Forbes from Halstead Property, Niall Lundgren from Compass, Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, and Doug Headings from Core Real Estate. We're core heavy today, isn't that something? Anyway, you probably noticed noticed brick-covered openings in facades in New York City buildings, but perhaps you haven't paid much attention to these once-functioning windows referred to as lot-line windows. And, of course, we all get lots of questions about lot-line windows. If apartment buying is in your future, you should at least be aware of the basics. What are the basics when we're talking about lot-line windows? And what do we respond to people? Because people say, well, I can see out the window. There's no obstruction, and the view is beautiful. But so why are you telling me it's a lot-line window? Now, oftentimes we can see there's little squares, or I forgot what they, they call that little pattern. Chicken wire chicken windows. Wi- chicken wire windows. And people say, well, why is that like that? So what, what are lot line windows, and what do buyers have to be careful of when they're looking at apartments that have these windows? Because it is important. So, so I'll just start a little bit with with the essence of how those the it's exactly as it says lot line. They're windows that allow light and air because there's an opening and there's air on the lot line. Um, chicken wire was what was utilized to contain fires. So if there was an explosion, it would the 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 fire pieces would be caught in the window. Um, today there is. You know, so much, so many more technologies and opportunities for tempered glass, etc. Um, so they don't, they don't have that wire in it. But lot lines um, in new developments, 
you can get away with putting windows on lot line uh, with you with putting a sprinkler system mm-hmm. in um, over the windows, which is the same thing as the chicken wire. Um, what we need to understand when we are representing our client, our purchasers or representing a piece of property is that we really can't represent what can and can't be done. We can give them information. I happen to have done 30 development projects, so I have a lot of knowledge of FAR, which is floor area ratio, buildable space, and how you can transfer air rights adjacent touching buildings, but you can't do it across the street. Mm-mm. So... Understanding that and help and being a bit of a detective proactively, whether it's your exclusive and you want to have that knowledge or you're representing a buyer, but you really have to say, I'm not a zoning expert and you need, if you really are concerned about it, then you need to find a zoning attorney. Does anybody know what the percentage of, of, of um, buildings that do come up after the fact when we tell people it is a lot line window and you there. never know what's going to go on? No there? guarantees. No guarantees. I, I think it, to, to Louise's point, many years ago, um, I think she and I have been in this business probably about the same amount of time. Long time. Anyway. But you were only 12. I was 12 and you were 14. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you so, both look good. Uh, thank you. <laughs> they do. So I think... Once upon a time, with with zoning laws, you could look out the window, and if there was a church mid-block, you could say, look, that's probably going to be protected for a while. Oh. However, zoning laws changed, and now churches can build above themselves. Mm-hmm. And the, the message there is that current zoning laws have nothing to do with future zoning laws. They can change. And if you have a lot line window, it is not an infinitely protected view or, or window space at all. That's very scary, and that's also very true, and things have changed. Well, look, on the Upper West Side, there's a couple of schools that are being um, built upon and, and renovated or, or, or done inside because, look, you know, schools and or churches are converting just like anything else. Well, and I know Louise can probably speak to um, – when you're doing a new development project and you have lot line windows, you can't even define that area as a room, as a bedroom. Mm-hmm. A legal room, correct. Right. A legal because room. there are all these dimensions in, in that dictate what a legal room is. And, and one is a window, and if that window gets blocked, it is no longer a bedroom. So you've got to be very careful with that. All right, moving on. Major uh, urban centers like New York and San Francisco are increasingly becoming inaccessible to all but the wealthy New York uh, all but the wealthy, and this according to the New Yorker, and the soaring cost of housing in these big cities <clears throat> could be dramatically restructuring how they look. Can New York and cities like it save themselves from an unchecked influx of the super rich if urban centers don't find a way to keep their own economic success in check? Residents might start opting for alternatives like those edge cities after all. And you know, there's so many different edge cities outside of, of New York. So what, what's, what's ha- I mean, you know, what what is happening here in New York City? And, you know, how are we keeping the people who aren't the uber wealthy able to stay here and afford to be here? And more importantly, be happy to be here. Ask my wife. Because <laughs> we can't afford to live here and somehow we do. <laughs> it, well, I think all of us have the same situation. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, between schools and private schools and, and soccer camps and, and summer camps and, and just the way we live here. And we talk about this all the time on this radio show. But, you know, all these reports come out and we all sit back and wonder, hmm, how am I doing this? Well, coming from a coming from a family that generational has always been in the city, um, you know, 
years and years and years ago, decades ago, and it was still New York City that was still expensive at that time, and people still figured out a way to be here. Um, I think the city tries really hard to keep up with the ever-growing real estate market and try and make it evolve in terms of you know micro apartments that are becoming a thing, not only here but all across the country. I mean, different ways tiny of approaching houses, them. HGV, tiny yeah, houses. Yeah, I mean, in the city, we're doing micro apartments. You know, developers I work with are doing you know micro townhouses in towns like Germantown and, you know, Tennessee. Um, but it's also just, you know, having the ability to create trains as well, like creating the seven train, which Doug was talking about in terms of Hudson Yards, you know, it all helps more people be able to live here with the economy. I think that we're seeing, um, you know, what's amazing about this city and, and, and having done 30 development projects, as I mentioned before, a lot of those were in neighborhoods that were never, ever neighborhoods that people would consider. Alphabet mm-hmm. City, you know, it's like I used to go and watch the heroin addicts and mm-hmm. like sometimes the kids would tip them over when they were like high. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but today you can't, you run into strollers everywhere. everywhere. It is amazing. And so I think developers have been trying to um, uh, answer that calling and give more choices. And I'm. it's exciting to be able to look at our inventory in Manhattan because it is only like 38 to 40% purchasable. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a renter's city. And um, so the, the developers are responding to the yin and yang of Billionaire's Row to the Lower East Side. And the millennials, which were not ever owners in Manhattan, have trailblazed what's happening in Brooklyn, in the Bronx, and in other areas, which is exciting. And outside of just real estate, I think that New York City is such an amazing place because you're able to have, you know, I, I had a funny story when I was living on Riverside Boulevard and my mom grew up in Washington Heights and she would joke with me about just saying, it took me less time to get to Midtown, you know, from Washington Heights on the A train than it does for you on Riverside Boulevard in the 60s to, to get to the walk, train. Yeah, to get to the train. To so get I, to the train. That's no. why New York is such an amazing place. And no matter whatever happens, people will still all be able to live here because it's such, even though it's such a big city, there are so many different hubs of transportation. Yeah, and people always figure it out. You know, we, we were just talking about Riverdale, right? There's, you said, edge cities. There's always fringe markets that are going to be emerging, right? And you know, if you're talking like Doug was saying, there's a long-term play. You know, in a in the in the edge area of Riverdale, if you look at it from a long-term perspective, it's going to have a positive outcome. Same thing in Brooklyn, Queens, like you know, Luis was just saying, and all these areas are fulfilling the demand. You know, if if they can't afford it, um, you know, in the Lower East Side anymore, then they're going to find it in Williamsburg or Bushwick, and they will find it. Yes. We are resilient. South Bronx there 2015, sorry, I knew we need a break, right? South Bronx, <laughs> the pull they the permits pulled for 2015 were 48% higher than the year before and acquisition for land in South Bronx is 500 to 600% cheaper than Brooklyn or Queens. And That's, watch Staten Island. I'm we're, telling you. Yeah, we're going to do. We're going to do a conversation uh, coming up on uh, the South Bronx. Doug mentioned it before. Louise just mentioned it. You know, uh, whether it relates to Riverdale or the whole area up there. Mm. But the South Bronx is exploding, and I have to wonder, just like all of these other edge towns or edge places that people will find, as Niall said. But where? I mean, how do people? 
How do they feel about going to the South Bronx? So that's going to be a topic of conversation, but we cannot do that today. Next week, we're going to highlight Dumbo. I've recently spent a lot of time out there with a buyer and a renter, and it's a fantastic place. That is Good Morning New York for this week. Thanks for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, uh, voiceamerica.com or vincerocco.com. Remember to come to the New York City Expo on Thursday. Louise will be there. Doug will be there. I will be there. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 